going through our vision um, as a church together, and we've got to the point of praying for revival, and that's what we commit ourselves to as a church. But we cannot pray for revival if we're not engaging in a lifestyle of prayer. We can't just turn that on. It has to come from the depths of our hearts. And so we've been asking various questions about prayer. And I just want to encourage you with these scriptures. I'm not going to be preaching from one particular text, but I want to just share some different scriptures as a background to what we're going to talk about today. And the first scripture, I've got them on a... a Again, sorry, looked great at home, terrible here. Um, James, if you could do that, they're probably all in black. So. Exodus 17, verse 8 to 13, the Amalekites defeated. This is, the Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then again in 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, just a few verses. Again, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war on Jehoshaphat. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. From the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then finally from Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God's sovereign Lord, You made the heavens and the earth, the seas, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The question I want to ask this morning about prayer is, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Does prayer have any real impact on the outside world, or is it merely a private conversation with God? We've talked in previous weeks about prayer being fundamentally the um, currency of our relationship with God that God has made this available for us, that we can have a relationship with him and it is developed and matured and grown in prayer. But it is not just a private conversation with God. Although I believe clearly that the more we know Jesus, the more we'll be able to pray in his will and with his mind. But we live, if we're honest, we live in a tension within our own prayer lives of the things that we do see in answer to prayer and the things we do not see in answer to prayer. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you have seen an answer to prayer in your Christian life? Would you just raise your hands if you've seen an answer to prayer in your Christian life? How many of you would say you've seen an answer to prayer in the last week? How many of you would say that there are still prayers pending? Because there are prayers that we pray and we see immediate answers. There are prayers that we pray and we see answers but we dismiss them as coincidences. Because we, with our mindset of the 21st century in the UK, was, well, that was coincidence. It may have happened anyway. How are we to know? And there are those prayers that are lodged with God. And we repeat them daily. And we remind the Lord that this is on our heart. And we bring them to him. What difference does prayer make? I had the privilege of visiting the persecuted church. If you were to ask them, what difference does prayer make? They would say, it makes all the difference. Please pray for us and do not stop. Don't pray that persecution ends, but pray that we'll have the courage and boldness to live in it and to be a witness in it and see our nations one for Jesus. Do not stop praying. You ask the family whose child is sick and ask, do they appreciate the difference that prayer makes? And they will say, yes. One of the privileges we have as being a family in this place, we can let needs be known so quickly and then right throughout the church, there's prayers being prayed. Isn't that glorious? 
And Hermie and I have felt the benefit of that when we first came to this church and Karis was so ill with a hole in her heart and we asked you all to pray and we just felt lifted up. And you look at her now, you'd never know. You ask the one who has lost a loved one, does prayer make a difference? And they will say, yes. I have felt held up. When I felt lonely, someone called. When I felt on my own at the end of myself, God was there. Does prayer make a difference? Yes, it makes all the difference. And Jesus prays for us. Amazing. Those verses in scripture that we kind of don't completely understand. If we're really honest, we don't really understand. What's he praying for us? but I'm content to know that he's praying for me and he's praying for you. Ask those who have lived through revivals, whether they've been in the British Isles or whether they've been in in places right throughout the world, what difference has prayer made? It has made all the difference because revivals are always birthed in a heart cry from God's people. Ask those who have lived through the fall of communism what prayer, whether it made a difference. Most of those at the forefront of those movements against apartheid in South Africa were Christians who were praying and living for Jesus. But we don't always see the answers to our prayers. Because we live in that instant world where if we, if we ask for something, we want to get it right now. Or is that just me? You, you, you want the answer right now. Think of the fall of communism. Vladimir Lenin once said, electricity will replace God. The peasants will feel its effects longer, long before they feel the effect of God from on high. As he shut down 80, 98% of the churches in the Soviet Union. Strongholds were demolished, come falling down. On the uh, BBC website this week, I was just kind of struck. I thought it was quite funny. Did you know that an atheist church has started in North London, proving a big hit with non-believers? I just found it hilarious. Instead of hymns, they go and sing along to Stevie Wonder and Queen songs. I mean, I don't mean to mock, but I did find it quite incredible. There was a reading from Alice in Wonderland. Seriously, they bowed their heads for two minutes of contemplation about the miracle of life. Well, that's great. Because it is a miracle. Those who went said it's a nice excuse to get together and have a bit of community spirit without the religious bit. It's not a church, it's a congregation of unreligious people. And I said, that's we, that's what we are. We are a church, but we're a congregation of unreligious people. If you're a religious person, you don't belong here. We're followers of Jesus Christ. They are religious. 300 people turned up for the opening. That tells me that people are longing for something. 
The number of people declaring themselves to be of no religion in England and Wales has increased by more than 6 million since 2001 to 14.1 million according to the latest census. That makes England and Wales two of the most secular nations in the Western world. And it was written as if we were proud of it. You see, we live not on neutral ground. We're at war. For the hearts and lives of people, men and women, children, young people in this nation. That's why we pray for revival. How many of us prayed this past week for Parliament as they sat and discussed marriage? But we can't be surprised when people with no compass that says God has anything to say about this make decisions that go against what God says is right. To bless something that God doesn't bless. We're not on neutral ground. Sometimes our frustration and discouragement in prayer comes because we don't understand. We don't know what God's up to. Ever have been there? What's he up to? And we start giving up in prayer. Because in prayer we enter this strange mix of divine influence and human autonomy or free will. That God actually doesn't compel. He doesn't ever force people like robots into obedience to his will. That's not what he does. He gives out of his love freedom to all men and all women. He doesn't compel a single person or a nation to follow him. Even his nation of Israel that he called for himself to be a blessing to the whole world. He didn't force them because they had free will. And again and again they went away from him. But that is precisely why we need to persist in prayer and not give up. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is quite clear that it's not on earth yet. If we're praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, it is not yet, but it is coming. There is a day coming when heaven and earth will be joined together and Jesus is enthroned as Lord over all. Jesus talked of a kingdom that would outlast the mightiest empires of the day, any day. He talked of a kingdom that would span the whole world and that would never end. And when we pray, we're coming to pray to a God who made the world, the universe, and everything, who sustains it by his word, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, always there, but doesn't always do what we want him to do. A God whose love has never grown cold. But a God we come to to ask for his help, strength, intervention, blessing. I would have to say God has probably answered all of our prayers. But we've not discerned it yet. And he is still working it out. Because we want the instant 
one of the questions that I'm asked so much, particularly by those who don't believe in God or the Lord Jesus, why do bad things happen? You believe in a good God, why does he allow bad things to happen? Which I often reply with the question, you don't believe in God, why do bad things happen? Because that's just as big a challenge. That question gets little systematic treatment in the Bible, of course. Because the Bible writers knew that bad things happened. That we live in a fallen world where there is death and sickness and pain. There is evil abounding. We live in a hostile world. The Bible says even the creation is groaning for that day when it will be redeemed. When the sons and daughters of God are revealed, the whole creation groans. It's going to be made new. The Apostle Paul said, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he says at the end of that passage, Pray for me. Pray that I'll be fearless in preaching the gospel. Pray for me. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we live on a planet under enemy occupation. Where there are powers intent on blocking and perverting the will of God. And we will see those things in opposition to the rule and the reign of God. Satan is defeated. He was defeated at the cross. But he's still at large for a time. Because when you ask the question, who is behind all the evil that we see in the world? Who is behind it? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But the powers and principalities. And sadly, bad things do happen because we live on earth and not yet in heaven. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Even if that's the only thing you pray, it is a significant prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord. And in that sense, you engage in that spiritual battle. Many of us are praying for our friends and our families who don't believe in Jesus yet. And we get so frustrated. God, why can't you just turn them around? Why can't you? Because he doesn't do that. He doesn't sort of, you know, impinge on He gives them freedom. But there is that amazing miracle happens when something begins to happen in their lives. And that's that moment when we turn. We've seen it so often. But in our frustration with our loved ones who don't believe in Jesus yet, let's start to pray against the powers that are working to blind them, to block them. Because that's where we need to invest prayer. Now, why can't they see? Because someone doesn't want them to see. The enemy says that he hardens people's hearts. The enemy says that he will blind their eyes. So we pray in that realm to see God's kingdom come. We engage in the spiritual battle. Sometimes I think the church of Jesus Christ are like the hobbits. If you've seen The Lord of the Rings, my favorite book and films, you know, the hobbits going about as if nothing bad is ever going to happen with their furry feet and seven meals a day. And, and there on the borders, evil is rising and they're not aware of it. 
we're in a battle. Let's not be hobbits and, you know, let's engage. The Lord has given us spiritual weapons. We pray because against such invisible forces, we have no more powerful weapon than prayer. No more powerful way to bring heaven and earth together because we have access to the Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. When I pray, I present my world to God and ask him for help to equip me to be salt and light in that world, to be effective for him in that world. To quote Karl Barth again, that quote, to clasp our hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder in the world. So praying for another person, praying for a situation is like touching God with one hand and touching that situation, that person with the other. And what a privilege it is. But we are not in charge of the outcome. Don't give up praying. The enemy loves it when the church of Jesus Christ gives up praying. It's one of his main strategies. He loves it when Christians won't dare to pray out loud because he hates the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus has power to demolish strongholds. And so I meet so many Christians who've never prayed out loud because the enemy wants to keep their mouths shut. There is an importance of praying with our mouths. Speaking out the words of God, there is power in it that we have not begun to fathom. Yes, God hears our silent prayers. Yes, he does. Of course he does. But there is power in speaking out the name of Jesus over situations, taking on these territories, principalities, and powers. So as a church, we will rise so we will engage with this, whether it's on a personal level or a corporate level. And the key is to hold on to God, despite what we see. We had that story of Moses. Well, when he took it into his own hands, he made a complete mess of things, if you read the story. But when he had submitted to God, God used him in incredible ways. Don't give up. Don't give in to discouragement. My father has been ill for many, many years. I pray every single day. Cry out to God every single day. I haven't seen the answers, but I know God loves him. And I'm not going to stop. We must never stop. Never give in. Because we have a relationship with God. And the more we know him, the more we'll pray in his purpose and will. We'll begin to pray the kind of prayers Jesus would pray. And sometimes we'll be like Jehoshaphat. I loved that when I read that. He was facing a vast army. He didn't know what to do. So he called the nation to fast. And seek the Lord. And I loved it when he said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When we gather tomorrow to pray for revival, we do not know what to do sometimes, but our eyes are on you, God. 
And if you read the story more, they won an amazing victory. Moses. That amazing story when the Amalekites had declared war on Israel. And this was Moses' strategy. Imagine being Joshua. Joshua, I want you to go and fight the battle. I'm going up the hill. You go out and fight the Amalekites. I'm going up the hill. Joshua's going, great idea, Moses. That's why I'm your right-hand man. Because the battle was won on the hill. Scripture clearly tells us the battle was won on the hill. The battle was won in prayer. Yes, it was a physical battle as well, but it was won in prayer. The kingdom has come. All around us we see glimpses. Every time a life is changed, we see the kingdom coming. We say, yes, the kingdom's coming. God has placed us here and now at this time to engage at this time. What are we going to do? Retreat to our hobbit holes and say, well, we're going to engage. The act of prayer emboldens us to join the work of transforming the world into a place where the Father's will is indeed done. Mother Teresa said she could only do what she did because she was sustained by prayer and the prayers of the saints. Sir Thomas More said, the things we pray for give us the grace to labor for. So we're not just hiding away in prayer, but we're praying and then we're saying, yes, Lord, we want to see change. And Prophet Daniel, who three times a day acted in civil disobedience against a tyrannical regime which had outlawed such prayer, he was persecuted, arrested, imprisoned, thrown in with the lions, and then God delivered him. And Daniel was given a glimpse into the unseen battle. If you read the stories of Daniel, amazing. He was visited by, we don't know who it was, an angel or was it Jesus pre-incarnate? We don't know. Your prayers have been heard and I have come in response. That angelic being says, I would have come here sooner but I was detained by the prince of a Persian kingdom, which he's talking about the heavenly warfare. There is battle raging (laughs) as God is defeating all the works of the enemy. And he calls us to engage. What difference does prayer make? You may be sitting here saying, well, not a lot. I haven't seen amazing answers to prayer. I would want to, well, I wouldn't bet because I'm not a betting man, but I would think you've seen answers to prayer without even knowing it. That God delivers you many times and you don't even know it. God lavishes his love upon you and you don't even know it. Wonderful passage in the end of the Bible, Revelation 8. In a scene recorded by John, the Apostle John foresees a direct link between the invisible and the visible worlds. At a climactic moment, heaven is quietened. Silence reigns. As if all of heaven is listening on tiptoe and then an angel collects the prayers of God's people. 
God's people on earth, all the prayers, praise, petitions, intercessions, and he mixes them with incense and presents them before the throne of God, and the silence breaks when the fragrant prayers are hurled onto the earth. This is an apocalyptic image, but it tells me that God hears all our prayers and that they are powerful. And it seems that the prayers of God's people are part of the final victory where there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more evil in this world. What difference will my prayer make? Who knows? What difference does a snowflake make? We might see one today. If you catch it, it'll disappear in your hand. Yet if a few tons of it fall, we're in big trouble. That's why we're called to be a praying people. Not just one or two of us, but all of us. Crying out, your kingdom come, your will be done. What difference does prayer make? It makes all the difference. Let us not give up. Continue that relationship with God, but let's engage in this world. When you despair of what's going on in the world, pray. When you come across things that you think that should not be, pray. And above all, pray for those you know who don't know the Lord yet. Because they need it. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this privilege of prayer We don't understand it all, but we thank you that we know that you hear and you respond. And we want to continue to cry out to you. Whether it's for ourselves and our situations or those we love or in the fellowship or further, as we cry out for revival, help us to not give up, not be discouraged. As we pray for breakthroughs, we want to see more, Lord. So we ask together, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.